el sol por las simples cosas, Padre Santo. Y en este momento, Señor, te pido de que uses a este siervo de Dios, Señor, cada palabra que diga, cada acción, Señor, cada pensamiento a través de su mensaje, sea impactante a nuestras vidas, Señor. En el nombre de Jesús. Amén y Amén. Well, good morning. This is almost as big as Christian tradition. Pretty good. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Federico Melendez. Uh, I first met him about eight years ago when I was in Guatemala City at a conference, and he absolutely astonished me at his ability to step into uh, meetings in the middle of a week, not knowing any of us, and translate simultaneously. Uh, we were in a group where half of us spoke English but no Spanish, and the other half spoke Spanish but no English, which makes it difficult to talk to one another. And, uh, and Dr. Melendez just sort of stepped in and was simultaneously translating. So he was hearing English but Spanish was coming out of his mouth, and then he was hearing Spanish and English was coming out of his mouth. And it was quite astonishing and, and a, a real act of grace on our part that allowed us to do our work. Um, you can read all about him in this fancy little pamphlet that you can find out uh, before the steps here. It talks about the books he's written and the degrees that he holds and the very important jobs that he holds as a scholar and a pastor and a, a social activist in uh, Central America and for the Church of the Nazarene around the world. Mostly I just want you to know that he's a good man. He has a, a wonderful heart for people. He loves the Lord and is very concerned that everybody in the world has what they need uh, to survive in, in peace and grace and dignity. And I hope that you will take this opportunity to learn from him and uh, that you will be back on Friday to hear more and that maybe you'll even come by tomorrow afternoon, uh, 3.15, at the Linda Whitling Lounge for question and answer and uh, cookies and coffee and the chance to greet him personally. So please, I know you're such a warm and gracious group, please welcome uh, with enthusiasm my friend, Dr. Federico Melendez. Greetings from all Central American Nazarenes to my North American brothers and sisters and the academic community in Guatemala, the university that I represent, which I'm a dean of the School of Theology down there. And I'm delighted to be here and thanks a lot for God's grace to be with you this morning. The background that you're hearing is a song that uh, was written by a Cuban poet, Jose Martí. It represents uh, Latin American countries, and it was uh, sung around the 80s. When I studied here in the United States at Point Loma Nazarene College, it was the song that we sing, used to sing with my, my friends at the school. It was deep and uh, conflicting times for me, especially for as a Spanish speaker that I couldn't speak English. I had to learn here on my own. And by God's grace, I'm, I'm here. And by God's grace, anything that we accomplish, it is because he wants us to do it. So with these uh, words of greetings from all of uh, 
Latin American countries, and especially my own country, I'm Guatemalan Berbert. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. No better words to me describe what I'm going to share in these two days. I will be speaking about uh, Latin American context. And on Friday, I will be speaking directly from Guatemalan context. And the mission statement of uh, NC says, the mission of East Nazarene College is to serve God, the church, and the world by providing a quality liberal arts education to the students of all ages. Consistent with its lesson heritage, NC seeks to create and maintain an environment which awakens and fosters truth, righteousness, justice, and holiness, and made possible by God's transforming grace through Jesus Christ. I wholly identify with its mission has been my concern towards social justice in the world and especially in my country, my homeland. And what I want to share is deep from my heart and my own background to address you a topic which is badly needed in the Church of the Nazareth. What has to do with Guantanamera? It's a secular song. But as you can say, the Guantanamera is a worldwide song translated into many languages and sung by a diversity of singers. That's the Cuban original. And we move it around when you say the topical. Translated into many languages and sung by diversity of songs and singers. That's the case with the Sam's Pipers, which is one of my favorites, the ones that you heard. The singer is Celia Cruz, a Cuban-American. She died a couple of years, but everywhere you go and identify one to Namera, at least in the 80s and 90s, that's the Latin American song. The original is with the Cuban-American singer, the one that you're listening. You listen to the background of the tropics, pam, 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 la Guantanamera, Cuba. There we go. The other one. It identifies the whole continent, especially those tropical lands of the Caribbean, Central America, and part of the South American continent. Wherever you go, you'll sing the Guantanamera, you know, at least people of my age that knew this song. Poetry, history, people, music, symbol, that's the Guantanamera. I would say the song symbol of Latin American countries. But here's my point. Theology, to me, is also a symbol. The reflection of God's word by the cultures, diversity of the cultures of our world. In this case, let me share how do we do theology specifically. How do we do theology? Theology is not just North American stuff. Theology is a worldwide. So how do we reflect and how do we theological thinking in Latin American countries? It cannot be separated from our history. And that's what we are doing. We live in the time of the lights and shadows of the globalization of the world. We are supposedly to be one world, and yet it's not true. Lights and science and technology have spread over the world. The nations of both the north and the south become one world, but in commerce and common, in communications. Humans communicate through the internet, about McDonald's and Google, are the symbols of the new era. Isn't that right? Yes. In Latin America, Toyota, 
and LG both symbolize Japanese cars and Korean LCD TVs around the world, especially among us. The tree is on there. <coughs> An illustration, I like this illustration, you know, to understand this global system. An English princess and her Egyptian friend perish in a car, in a car trash car inside a French tunnel while traveling in a German vehicle with a Dutch engine driven by Belgium. Huh? Illustration was copied by Watermelon and me, <laughs> operating a technology patented by Bill Gates on a Japanese Toshiba laptop. And you are probably reading this by a, I don't know if that's an IBM computer that heavily depends on Taiwanese hardware, <laughs> who finally was sold by the Chinese in the US. That to me is globalization. This one world is incredible. We have products all over the world. You eat bananas or come from Central America. And anything is joined together. That's the marvelous experience of the globalization, the global world. However, globalization is not working for everyone. Let me, I'll be honest with you, it's not working for everyone. It's working for you, but not for us. On the human level, we have more poor living in the world, in third world countries, than in all the North together. The basic truth is that the rich are getting richer and the poor are becoming even poorer. We know this is a fact. I live in a poor country. This is the particular case of Latin America and Central America. We must understand the context in order to understand the struggles of the church and how we identify as Nazarene Christians. I am proud to be, first of all, a Christian. And I love my church. The Church of the Nazarene is special to me. And the ministry of the church. I struggle with my own identity as a Nazarene. Is it a North American church? Is it becoming a worldwide church? That's the point. How do we theology in Latin America? Well, we just recently had in Guatemala City our first meeting with Nazarene Guatemalan teachers and professors headed by a Guatemalan doctor and myself and other graduates from our different universities to analyze the situation in the church in our country. We concluded that we need renewal. That's our conclusion. We need renewal in our own church. And I feel that you need also a renewal in your church here in the United States. But what it means to be a Christian, I cannot get out of the organized church. I, in the mornings, in my homeland, I work with the Nazarene Seminary in Guatemala City. Some of you may probably you be there. And I told them I was going to share this conclusion with my colleagues, you know, with you here in Eastern Nazarene College. I'm very grateful for you, doctor, for invitation. And this college has opened the doors to understand a little bit our concerns and to share with you what we are doing. That's a map that you already know in your college history or high school history, remember those things. Latin America was born out of the Spanish Empire. That's elemental. In the 16th century, through the both conquest and colonization, most of the countries gained their independence from Spain in the 19th century, a century after U.S. independence. Central America was originally one country and was called the Federal Republic of Guatemala. That's for your history to understand a little bit, which lasted only a few years, later become the actual Central American nations. Actually, 
what we can understand from the whole this background in order to understand us and understand the struggles and to understand our own identity, you need to study a little bit of history. The trends in Latin America as a result of their history after World War II, 1940s, many countries in Latin America struggle to address problems of poverty and inequality. Why we have two Americas, one rich and one poor? You ask to history why we are that different. And then, as a result, many economic trends went there in those Latin American countries, and roots of poverty and equality go back to the history of colonialism. There we go. Most land, wealth, in hands of the elites, and economies based on agricultural exports, to decrease dependence on foreign countries, import uh, substitution-led industrialization policy was adopted. We, we started commerce, but we failed in that in a sense, and then we try to make us industrialized nations. Some of them, Brazil, for example, is a big nation, industrialized in, in many ways, is becoming a good friend of Central American countries, and Mexico is also close to us. We are a small nations in Central, Central American nations. But industrialization, local industries developed to replace uh, need to import manufacturing goods. Dependence on foreign countries remain for investment, technology, loans, military aid. In rural land use uh, remain a major, issue, a major issue. So you have both ways here. The economic trends, basically, imperialism in the 50s did not solve, industrialization in the 50s did not solve land problems. The rural lands owned by small groups of elites, many with ties to U.S. business interests, Peasants struggle to find land reform in all those countries. Addressing the issue, some countries took land from large landholders, gave to landless peasants, like uh, years before happened with the Mexican Revolution. Mixed result, but still major economic trend, you know, struggling with, to survive with economic. And so uh, the social trends, some of you are familiar, especially with those that study religion a little bit, just trying to figure out the history. Large gap between rich and poor, major social issue. Liberation theology, back in the 80s and the 60s and 70s, we had to struggle with those kind of things in, in, in Latin America. Promoted by priests, and church should be active in struggle to economic, social equality, and social justice. Criticized by both Catholic Church, but popular in Catholic Latin America, especially the masses, which identify wholly with this uh, type of liberation theology. It was even translated well-known around the world, and especially the impact here in the United States. The cities were unable to make living in rural areas. People flocked to regional cities. Movement caused rapid urbanization. One of the, the largest cities in the world located, uh, of course, in Mexico City. I, was in, I lived in Mexico for two years in, uh, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is millions of inhabitants, and obviously, uh, the trend is uh, becoming people are flying to, flocking to the cities, large cities. Many found life no easier in cities. Shortage of food, housing, safe drinking water presented challenges. We are challenged by all things, the government and the policies of people there. To put it in a summer way, how did people in Latin America try to deal with some of the region's economic and social problems? Then the answer is for you and to remember. Industrialization, land reform, migration to cities, 
liberation theology movement for you to remember. And I give you a particular example, which is most familiar here in the U.S. The Cuban Revolution, in Cuba, social and economic trends led, led to revolution. There, social inequality and heavy U.S. influence led to revolt that brought communists to this large Caribbean island. And uh, the next one, the reasons for revolt. There are so many reasons, but I'm particularly succinctly to understand this. Cuba was very dependent on U.S. commerce and business. 1950s, hotels, casinos owned by wealthy Americans, humans elite, the U.S. owned sugar, tobacco plantations. And uh, the following, the rich and the poor remained there, valuable export from plantations, little land for peasants who farm. Cuba and one of the richest Latin American countries didn't have that. And most Cubans would not earn living. living. The U.S. support business interests, encourage U.S. government support to corrupt dictators, which is a common history done in Latin America. Anti-communist Fulgencio Batista took power in 1952, the military coup with U.S. support. And the Cuban Guantanamera comes along. What is that? Guantanamo is a Cuban province governed by the U.S. since 1903. The song Guantanamera refers to a lady in Guantanamo. Somebody, a beautiful lady, I'm in Cuba, and which later became the symbol of the new song. The song was composed in the verses of the Cuban poet Jose Martí. It is an international song, as I said, adapted to many languages. It represents Latin American ideals worldwide. And so, what's the result? That's the words. And when I watched in college and get my education here in the U.S., not losing my identity as a Latino, as a Latin American, and my roots in my homeland, I struggle with those things. And what the Lord spoke to me was, I am a truthful man from the land of the palm trees. That's the Guantanamera song. But before dying, and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> not that I'm going to die. No, I want to live for many years. But uh, I want to share these poems of my soul. And my verses are light green, but they are also flaming red. Jose Martí, the Cuban poet, and it ends with the, the, the background of the song that you heard, called Los Pobres de la Tierra, which means, with the poor of this earth, I want to share my life. And so that came as a result of my own commitment and my other struggles to identify myself, who am I, after living here in the United States, eight years of living here in California, my undergraduate and graduate studies. As a result, you can see that my life is tied up with my own commitment towards the poor, and my own commitment to my homeland and to the whole continent. And of course, well identify with you as Hispanics here in the US too. I have some relatives living in the US, coming as a result of all the economic pressures that we share in all these lands. This brief account, what were some of the causes of the effects of the Cuban Revolution? Well, you see there, causes, social inequality, U.S. influence, revolts, effects, access to health care and education. Good, thanks. <laughs> but restricted freedom, economists still suffer. That's one of my problems that I can speak louder. So, uh, You hear it better? Yes, thanks. Revolution in Central America. These are another examples, indeed comes to my point in order to understand why do do things the things we do. 
Economic conditions not only cause revolutions, political corruption, repression, U.S. support for corrupt government, stirred nationalism. You must understand this. What happened? Well, uh, besides the, uh, the, the, the causes, Guatemala is Guatemala, we won't forget this. In 1952, Guatemalan President Arbenz used land reform to distribute land to peasants. I'm not to put you in order to blame you, no. Politicians did. U.S. policy hurt American-owned United Fruit Company, and the U.S. concerns pressured from the United Fruit Company concern over Arbenz leftist leanings. U.S. decided to remove from power. That's common history in Latin American countries, at least years before. Now we are learning to live in democracy. Just last couple of years, things are not happening that way. But it's a sad story that you must know. CIA intervention, which is common. Intervene in coup the top of Arbenz replace him. And that put us a, a mark in our history. Start a repressive dictatorship. Civil war raged from 70s until peace accord. Can you imagine it? 1996. 30 years of war in our homelands. A lot of blood. Sad history. But that's our history. And that's what we do in order to struggle as a people, as a nation. And so, same thing happened in El Salvador. El Salvador deleterated dictatorships took power through the unfair elections and repression came to our people. 1980, assassination of Archbishop Oscar Romero, outspoken government's critic, sparked blood of civil war between communist guerrillas and the army. Powerful. Is a bishop is well respected in, in Central America, Arbizo Romero. Civil war, peasant villages often caught in the middle. Government death squads, Roman countryside, killed anyone suspected of adding opposition. No civil rights. You were mature enough back in the 60s with your own civil rights here in the, sta in the States. You didn't know those things down in Central America and Latin American countries. Reagan administration supported Salvadorian government and army, provided money and military aid. Violence continued until this 99 is just recently. I am the product of that, of that war in Central America. Revolution case in Nicaragua. Nicaragua struggled with instability, ruled for decades for Somoza family, wealthy family, millionaires in almost all the country, control about a quarter of the country's farmland, Anti-communist views kept from his favor with the U.S., corruption, violent tactics, you know, alarm many Nicaraguans. The Sandinistas took power in 1979, Somoza forced to flee, Sandinistas' revolution brought took power over capital, ruled as junta, group of leaders who ruled jointly, launched economic, social reforms, a level political opposition. You must understand what's going on there. You don't understand, understand yourself here in the States. Because with the superpower, which is the U.S., do nasty things also outside the country. And uh, I don't know why they do it. I mean, they say it for liberty, freedom. The country's Reagan administration cut off aid. Sandinistas look for to social countries for financial aid. The country's U.S. train, that's the sad story. The countries, you know, U.S. train fund rebel group be, uh, began campaigning of violence. 1984 election took San, kept Sandinistas in power through violence and continued. 
That's the result why you have a Chavez. That's the result why you have dictators. Opposing systems. Now that we are coming to a understanding that uh, new peace is coming in our lands, but we cannot uh, get outside what has happened in our recent history. And they make generalizations of this thing. How did he influence conflicts in Guatemala, Salvador, and Nicaragua? The answer has been this. Civil war, violence, some corrupt leaders overthrown, economic problems, some financial and military aid happens. And so, with this general background in order to understand Latin American countries and Latin American culture, and even our expression in our music, because that's what we feel as people, let me say something about this. The recent history of Central American revolutions led to a democracy in the 1980s. Can you believe this, 1980s? Some of you were, were born in maybe in the 1980s, some of you even younger. You're a young generation that's hardly to understand you, to understand us. But maybe you were born some in around the 90s. But you must know it. In your own academic background to understand yourself, to understand your culture, your nation, how to deal with other nations, foreigners. Uh, Central American countries in, or nations in a transition, I will call this, from military dictatorship to, to new democracies. The new democracies began amidst the guerrilla warfare of the 1980s. The new nations emerged out of social and economic conflicts, which still persist up to the present time. And we struggle with these things. To us, how we as a Nazarene church began with a concern for the downtrodden and the poor. Here in America, in 94 is almost got lost in the history of the Church of the Nazarene until recently, becoming to recover the spirit of compassion towards the poor. And then we have to struggle with it. And uh, the mission of the Church of the Central America, and just coming and putting into grounds in my shoes this, must be viewed under the light of the socio-economic context. You cannot divorce it. You have to understand this. The primary concern of Christians, now I put it, the word the Christians, is to understand that spiritual realities are bound to the earthly realities of poverty and oppression. This is the only way to understand us. And you travel to Latin America, well, you must see this. And if you're a true Christian, you must understand and forget your own prejudice, American prejudice, and bring it to see the realities of our world. Thus, of course, the role of social ethics. And this is my concern and to share with you as young American and, and people here in this uh, specific college. Working for a better world. We deserve a better world. You deserve a better world. I deserve. My children deserve a better world. The young people in Latin American countries deserve a better world here and whatever. Hard to fight for a better world. So unjust, so corrupt. But this is the world in which we live in. As Christians, we have to work for a better world, a world in which, in which uh, children can eat three days, two meals a day. Even the level of poverty here in the U.S. is 
coming and there is uh, economic, all these things happen. You don't know really what poverty is. I'm sorry to say it. The poor, it's another story. And uh, a worry which adults can have a job to feed their families. Who does not want that? I mean, yes, of course. A worry which rich Christian nations work along with the poor on matters of social justice and inequality. It is a must for us as Nazarenes to do this. And as Christians, worldwide Christians, to join hands uh, by God's kingdom's sake. Do we have those examples? Yeah, yes, we do. And uh, uh, thinking about this, as Christians, professionals, we would like to see that our less fortunate children and adults have the basic medical attention. We are making this point as Guatemalans. It is up to us to solve our own problems, of course. But we need to share this with other Christians around the world, as yourselves, in order to understand why we think the way we do. And how as Christians we must pay attention to this kind of issues. As Christians we, we would like to see our less fortunate children and adults have the basic medical attention. We are in the process of extending a hospital with all the needed service in Guatemala City. We are struggling with this. You know, our association is in the process of making uh, uh, contacts and seeking help with different institutions. They charge me to talk to you about this one project for anything willing to help. Just specifically. So, an inspiring example of both understanding and investment in Central America is the Dutch church. I mentioned Dr. Uh, Marilou about this specific church. It was inspired by what we were doing in Central America and for you to inspire too. Especially those that are working on social ethics, works at uh, administration. I was uh, delighted to talk with the some business here at, 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 at NC University. Why not? I think that the, the Lord allows you a profession and you will become a world professional leader. <laughs> think not only in terms of yourself and what you're doing here in the U.S., but think on a worldwide basis. Think in terms of global terms. We are living in a world, globalization world. Well, think yourself in those terms. Uh, through a deep understanding of both our history and needs, the Dutch church recently engaged in ecumenical dialogue seeking to promote understanding and social justice for both Guatemala and Honduras. This is what we're doing. Probably you will see the readings, but I'm going to read some small letters. And fighting poverty, how they do it, I and mean, how is the model, which inspires me to see, and not saying that Nazarenes are not doing their part, but such a small part. We are also learning. <laughs> And that's the fact, you know, that we are learning to become compassionate with our own needs. Which is kind of sad. Why we are not a compassionate church? So many things that you can be answered. But, fighting poverty in Central America and the model that I'm presenting to you here goes along these lines. Introducing the Dan Church in aid Central America. Dan Church has been working in Latin America in almost two decades from, from now. And uh, uh, specifically in Guatemala and Honduras, uh, works with uh, different programs, food security and, pot and uh, political space. Dutch Church is also supporting re uh, regional disasters preparedness program. 
because uh, Central American, such as small countries, we are very much exposed to, to, to these environmental issues. Uh, one of the top nations in the world after the APCC, uh, the panel, intergovernment panel, has classified Guatemala and Central America as the 10 worldwide countries which are affected by the climate change. And so that has brought us a lot of despair in terms of, you know, the, our weather is not the same. You used to have a beautiful weather, uh, but it's not a disappear of water. It's very hot down there, even in the, in the capital city of Central America, in Guatemala specifically. Uh, uh, this is a major humanitarian in, 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 in Denmark, and they work with the government, of course. They have their own system of working in, in, in Europe, uh, but they understand those struggles. Sometimes the U.S. does not cap that, but uh, Europeans do in terms of uh, how, how to put those things into, into perspective. And succinctly, uh, the next one, says that Honduras and Guatemala, Honduras is one of the, is, is in the, the process uh, of, uh, of uh, what would I say, becoming even poorer, Honduras. And uh, even though we in Central America ha have endorsed as, as countries uh, a CAFTA agreement with the U.S., it's not really working for us. You think that business will help us? No, I don't think so. It depends on what kind of business do people. But it's not really coming. The wealth is not coming to our poor people. Capitalist investors are not interested in that. And you may ask why your government does not do anything. Well, it's trying to fight poverty. But it's not an easy task. You're counted by millions of peoples. And how we must have a perspective of understanding our world and understanding uh, the, 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 the justice, understanding the things that we need so much. And of course, I was saying from the beginning that it is up to us Guatemalan leaders and Central American leaders to have answers for our people. How do we do theology in Latin America while teach my students? Well, we must struggle with those issues. We must have fight against the powers of evil. How do we do it? Well, one thing to start with is community level. The community level in order to understand and support each other. To see this can be done. And even we are poor in terms of economic, you know, you are given examples of uh, really what the other does for the other one. And this is a new opening towards a being and becoming a new understanding of what is the church. The church is obviously is not an institution. The church is the most powerful instrument in God's hand in order to transform the lives of people. We see this at a community level. If you have want to understand what it means to be Christian, the first step that the Lord asks us is love one another as I have done it to you. What does it mean to be that in those countries? Well, a lot of struggles. I was usually criticized of uh, why, what, I, what I'm doing after getting my education in the U.S., why I didn't stay here. I said, well, that's my commitment. I want to see a different country. I want to see my country come into a new levels. 
not necessarily economic. We just need the basics for that. And uh, transitions here in the U.S. are affecting. We say that when the U.S. sneezes, sneezes, <laughs> Latin America trembles, and that's true. But Dan Church is doing its job in terms of uh, identifying with the cry of the people that are oppressed, and the crying and identifying with the cause and uh, an understanding of the history that I just shared with you, an understanding of what, uh, how do we really work with people. It is just giving us, just a matter of giving. I, I met some uh, Dutch people there, which very, very, very special people to us in terms of identification. There are struggles with us. Uh, their, 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 their togetherness with us in terms of what, what, what we are trying to accomplish, uh, their presence among us, very inspiring. And so, if we live in a worldwide community, in this, I'm talking now as a Guatemalan, I'm talking as a Christian. And we are a family of brothers and sisters around the world. And uh, do not become a Laodicea church, the rich church that thought that yeah, because I am the well, the well-to-do church can solve the problems. We need another type of church, sacrificial church. And uh, maybe it's not hard for you to understand what I'm trying to, to suggest, but this is the only point which you can become really Christian. Your discipleship, you'll follow in the way. It's not a matter of thinking. It's a matter of doing. It's not a matter of, uh, of uh, believing. It's a matter of following. And especially here in communities like ENC College, it's a matter of deep community, which very much is needed. You say in Latin America, you say the, the poor hunger for justice, the rich hunger for love. And what I understand this is in my struggles here in the U.S. where I live, it's precisely this. There's such a emptiness in many hearts. And uh, I knew it. I don't know how to did, do it. But uh, it was kind of a hindrance to me to make contact with people. But I later understand it was part of the culture. I say how, how, how it can be. So my conclusion this morning was precisely this, you know. In order to have a different world, we need to be, to become and to be different people. Your own struggles here in college, maybe the way how you're putting together your way of thinking, your doing, your education, uh, your roots, your struggles. Think of uh, your own struggles, but think also in terms of the struggles of other people that are even worse situation than you are. We don't have colleges like this in, the, in Latin America. Very, very few. And uh, I was uh, sharing with some students, but... Uh, 
the sense of community that is developed in many Christian colleges is known in most Latin American countries. But this is one way to start with. To me, colleges are very significant in the U.S. has been significant in the history of the church. And I hope the ANC will become a difference. And I will really identify with its mission statement. You know, the foster truth, righteousness, justice, and holiness. What a beautiful statement. But what a beautiful way of living, which is the hardest part. And what I had just uh, plainly in mind is uh, sharing the story. How do we do theology? How do we do this thinking? And how the Guantanamera <laughs> would become part of our lives. So, this is our story. The story ends with the cross. And the story ends with the crucified one. We need in Latin America and the U.S. an ethics of crucifixion. Not an ethics of triumph. We need an ethics, social ethics, very much needed. But it's first of all, the play of the spirit in my heart is crucial in order to understand God's role in my life. Could you bow your heads so I can pray for you and pray for our Central American Church? Father in heaven, thanks for allowing me this beautiful opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters in this land the struggles of the Central American Church. Father, with a burden in my heart, I pray for the North American Church in terms of their own survival and in terms of their own fights. I pray for, for my brothers and sisters here in this college to fully identify with your cause, with a worldwide cause, not with American cause. In a global world, we need Christians to change our suffering world. Yes, we might say we suffer here, but it is not the suffering we had in those other lands. I thank you for the opportunity of sharing these thoughtful things and thoughtful concerns on what's going on in other lands outside North American continent. I pray for this college particularly and for this community. Thanks for allowing me this opportunity to share from the depths of my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. Good morning.